This podcast is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash myth underscore podcast. Robots Radio presents Myth. The podcast where we explore the very soul of the human story. Quiet of the night, you gather your things, and you make your way to the side of your wife, who is sleeping soundly on your very expensive bed. You lean over and oh so gently kiss her forehead. You make your way to your son's crib, and you do the same, making sure not to wake either of them. And you head out of the palace in the dark of night and into the woods beyond. As you travel, you think about the three things you saw that day beyond the castle walls. A sick man, an old man, and a corpse being prepared for burning. And these images won't escape your mind. You lived a life of ease in a world where everything was prepared for you. Your father made a point to shield you from the outside world to keep you entertained, instructed, trained, archery, swordsmanship, wrestling, swimming, running. You were in the best shape. You ate the best food. You lived the most protected life of anybody, anybody the the world had known. But you didn't realize this until just that day. You asked the man driving the chariot about the sick man, the old man and the corpse. And he said, this is the way of life. All men become sick. Everybody becomes old. And one day we all die. Did you not know this? And you became quiet because you didn't. It seemed like a silly question now, but you didn't. You had been educated about everything except for human suffering. So into the night you traveled and with a burning passion in your gut you decided to throw off your past to seek out knowledge to find men who could teach you sages wise men people who knew about suffering and how to end it 
It didn't seem right. The world shouldn't be that... terrible. How does that make any sense? So you cut your hair, and you burned your clothes, and you put on robes, and from that moment on, you became somebody else. You found your way to a marketplace where you heard many discussions, topics, people, ideas, things that you had never considered before. You met people of all sorts of different stripes, believers in the gods, atheists, materialists, people who valued the things that they had, idealists, all these different ideas bouncing off of each other, all these different people, all their different minds, all their different opinions. And it was a lot. How did so many people have so many different ideas about what was true, what was worth valuing? And so you continued to travel, and you came upon a teacher, Arada, and his 300 disciples, and it was here that you learned how to quiet your mind, how to focus on the nothingness, and remove thoughts of all else. But that wasn't good enough. It was the first step. So you traveled again, and you met another teacher, Udraka. And Udraka taught you how to focus your mind on a singular idea. And you spent the next six years practicing concentration, focusing just on your thoughts, pitting your mind against your body, living on a single grain of rice a day until your ribs stuck through your wasted flesh. But soon you realized that this too was not sustainable. You had become the antithesis of the man you were. You had everything and now you had nothing. In this state, you could barely cling on to your own health. And you left this world of asceticism. You stumbled into a nearby village. On the brink of passing out, you met a woman, Sujata, who offered you milk and honey. She nursed you back to health. Strength returned to your body. It took time, but you were eventually able to continue your journey. You washed yourself, pulled yourself together, and sat underneath a tree, thinking of all the things that you had learned, all the paths you had tried, you had tried everything. 
There were no other teachings. You had worked into your life, your very existence, everything that anybody else could teach you. You lived a life of wealth, and that was not enough. You focused on nothing, and then you focused on one thing at a time, and then you trained your mind to control your body to extremes. And that was still not enough. You could not escape suffering. If you have nothing, if you have pain, this is suffering. If you have joy and happiness, then this still leads ultimately to suffering. Six days under this tree, you sat and you thought, and then you realized that you never lost anything at all, that the truth was always right there with you, that to suffer is to be alive. It is the truth, and that Life is also craving, the craving of things, thirsting for pleasure, for power, and that these things lead to suffering as well. There's also a thirst for continued existence and non-existence all at the same time. And it's in this dichotomy that you discover yourself. That you are the center of all of these things, your desires, your hopes, your fears. And this is where everyone makes the mistake. They believe that the hopes, the fears, that these things define the self, the idea of you, the idea of I. But suffering, desire, none of these things are substantial. Hopes, fears, these are all but passions. These are all but ideas. These are insubstantial concepts. They don't exist at all. They are like shadows in the mind. And once you realize that your desires, your hopes, and your fears are not actual things, you can realize that suffering isn't either, and you begin to gain control. And this idea changed the world. You never claimed to be a god. You never claimed to be much of anything at all. But you shared these ideas, and these ideas grew. At first, it was a simple philosophy, a way to unchain the self, your ego, from the things in this world that lead to suffering. And eventually, this became a method process 
And then, years later, you became a god, long after you passed away. People who followed your teachings believed that this must have come from the heavens. And what's ironic about that is that you yourself denied anything having to do with the heavens, the gods, that these concepts in and of themselves were built upon hopes, desires, and fears. And that might be the greatest irony in all of this. The story of Siddhartha Gautama is an ancient one. A story that comes 500 years before the time of Christ, 2,500 years ago. And normally when I tell these stories at the beginning of these episodes, I put you in a completely fictional situation that I've designed in order to press a specific point having to do with the topic for this week. But this week I decided to put you in the shoes of a god, the Buddha. And he never claimed that of himself. It's been debated whether Jesus ever claimed that of himself either. This is a common thread among many leaders of, or at least originators of world religions. And this story is interesting to me. It has a lot of elements that we could say come from mythology. These extremes, the son of a prince in northern India, in a little kingdom at the foothills of the Himalayan mountains, living a life of luxury and somehow never realizing that people grow old or that they die or that they get sick. You have to wonder what age he might have been when he decided to leave his wife and child. Also, was he not aware of what happened at childbirth to realize that people suffer? But we, we let go of those ideas. He, he leaves, he heads out, and he discovers suffering in the world. And so he leaves his wife and child to suffer at his no longer presence in the world in order to selfishly try to discover the meaning of all of this and and how these things work and of course he goes out and studies with all of these different peoples focuses on all these different ideas comes to no conclusions he swings back and forth between having everything and having nothing and then he finds this middle path and that's what it's called the middle path and a new idea and I think that there might be something here because it's, it's actually rather simple. You can talk about these concepts in very religious ways, very religious tones, very methodical processes, these kinds of things. But ultimately what Siddhartha came to was this idea that everything's going to be okay. That things are the way they are. And so you don't need to fight them. Hopes and dreams, fears, 
None of that actually matters. None of that actually changes what life is like right now. What will happen in the next moment. If you live or if you die. If you suffer or if you gain joy. All of these things are dependent on, of course, your actions, the world around you, the way you're living your life, all of these things. But to, to hold on to concerns, to hold on to fears, to hold on to hopes even, all lead to suffering. So the idea here is to let all of that go. To learn to be okay with anything life gives you. And, and just move on. Take what you get, be okay with it, and move on. That's basically the idea. And this is interesting. The whole process here with Siddhartha Gautama coming into these revelations, teaching them, them getting passed down to people who try to work them into their own lives. And I'm sure some of them were more effective and, and successful than others. And then becoming venerated. This idea of a originator of a, a world religion becoming somebody bigger than they ever claim themselves to be is very common. There's a cycle that I've noticed in world religions and and i'm not going to talk a lot about religions on this show I, I know that for some people the boundary between religion and myth is precarious or isn't there at all or is absolutely firm and you should only talk about one thing in one way and another thing in another way i'm going to come at all of these concepts as if they are ideas and if that's insulting to you then i apologize that is not that is not my goal. I'm not trying to dissuade anyone of their core beliefs. I'm not trying to pass judgment on your core beliefs. I'm only trying to explain to you the patterns and the concepts as I've seen them through my own studies, through my own understandings. And one pattern that I recognize, and this happens in Buddhism, this happens in Christianity, this happens in, this happens in Islam, this, this pattern is based around the life and the teachings of an individual that catapults a new concept into the mainstream. These teachers come across some sort of deep truth, something that resonates with the people around them in a, an extremely fundamental kind of way. And whether that's because it actually matches the truth of the world out there or it resonates with the psychology of the people who are sharing these ideas or if it's just the right time and place and somebody else takes the ideas and uses them to ascend to power. The stories vary, but the idea here is that in many of these situations you have a human being at the core who claims very simple things. If you want to live a better life, here's a way to do it. At the very most reduced, that's the idea. You want a better life, here's how you do it. And those ideas take root in other people. And they get passed on from person to person. 
And the further we get from the actual lifetime of that teacher, the more that teacher turns into a myth, the more they seem bigger and wiser and distant from us. And so the stories build. One generation tells stories to the next generation, and then that generation tells stories to the next generation. And in each retelling, the stories become more fantastic. They become bigger, more unbelievable, until we end up with a system where the originator of the idea is venerated themselves. Not the gods, not the concept itself, but the person. They're put on a pedestal, and they are turned into something they never claimed of themselves. And in doing this, the whole structure around this idea becomes so big because everybody around you believes in this structure and the lives of individuals are based on this structure. People have to make a living. People have to feed themselves. And the importance of this goes from just a good idea to help you live your life to something that people need for survival and others will use to ascend to power. And so you have an entire system that gets built around this idea. And that's when things become a religion. You have to do this on these dates. You have to do this ceremony in this way. And then all of a sudden, your hopes and your fears get used against you. If you don't do these things in these ways, then you won't get the thing that you want. If you do these things in the wrong ways, then you will suffer. Do you see how that goes against the original ideas with somebody like Siddhartha Gautama with with the origin of Buddhism you have actuality here in actuality you have teachings that tell you stop hoping stop fearing don't want it's in wanting that you find suffering and then we end up taking that teaching and we build a system that creates more wanting and tells people that they have to do the things that the system tells them in order to get the reward. And I don't want to broad brush this too much. I'm not saying that there aren't um, organizations, teachers, and uh, even uh arms let's, let's just call them that branches of these major world religions religions like uh christianity uh islam and buddhism and others that don't realize the irony of those kinds of things that occur in religions and actively work to stand up against them and that they there are people out there and there are organizations out there that understand that this is what happens and try to boil things back down to their original state but for every one of those, every teacher, every 
preacher, every <laughs> arm of an organization like that, that understands the irony of this kind of thing and tries to bring things back down again. And, and this happens in cycles too, historically. There are 10 times more individuals, people, structures, official structures in these religions that don't. They don't see the irony of this. The other concept here that I find interesting when dealing with ancient peoples is that the philosophies and religions of the day were the closest thing they had to dealing with their own psychology. And you see this echoed in a lot of different places. The psychology of themselves, the psychology of what it means to be human, the psychology of dealing with their hopes and fears. They didn't have somebody they could go sit on a couch and <laughs> talk to and talk about their upbringing and the way their parents messed them up and how they need to be on some sort of ADHD medication or depression medication. They didn't have that. That wasn't a thing that was available. That wasn't even an idea. This idea that you could somehow fix the mind through methods that were simpler than focusing on nothing. Meditation. So they sought these, these other methods, meditation being one of them, which we do know works and is fundamentally useful. So that, that's good. It's good that they found that. But they also worked in these other structures, these other beliefs, these other patterns of worship. And in some ways, those things bring peace of mind. But in other ways, they don't actually address the fundamental underlying issue underneath the situation. And that's how you end up with somebody like Siddhartha Gautama, somebody who comes from everything, tries nothing, and then decides that they come to some sort of revelation. So, I'm going to leave you with this. Was this a fundamental revelation? Was this something worth talking about? Is it possible to, in the parlance of screenwriting, hang a candle on it and call a spade a spade and, and that kind of thing to say that suffering, pain, hope, all of these things are insubstantial. They all exist only in the mind and therefore can be controlled or at least called what they are, accepted for what they are, so that we can just move on and be okay with anything that comes our way. Is that fundamentally a revelation? And is that possible? Can you live your life in a way that if you wake up tomorrow, the person you love the most no longer exists. The dreams you have for your future go away. Or your worst fears come to pass. Could you live through those things and truly accept them and just go on and say, this is life. This is what life gives me. And I'm okay with that. And I do know that this is a very, very boiled down perspective on all of this. So 
don't write me and say, well, actually, these things. I get it. I get it. I'm boiling this down on purpose. I want to get to this core, absolutely core piece of belief. And I want to see what you think about it. If you are inspired to start your own podcast, then we have just what you need. The hosts at Robots Radio have put together a podcast just for you, just for podcast creators. It's called The Podcast Professor. We are giving you for free all the tips that you need to get you started on your own podcast. It's a gift from us just to say thank you for being part of this network. Go check it out. It's up on every platform that you could look for. There are audio episodes for you to download just like any other podcast. And then there are also videos at the Robots Radio YouTube channel. Go check out both and good luck with starting your own show. Again, that's called The Podcast Professor. Look it up everywhere. Hey friends, thank you again for tuning into Myth. I am your host, Tom, and I appreciate that you guys are continuing to listen to this show and want to hear me talk about all these different historical, mythological, psychological issues where they all kind of come together. Um, if you are interested in supporting the show, I would 100% recommend recommending this show to your friends, your family, people that you think would be interested in these kinds of ideas and concepts. I also would love to hear from you directly. Are there ideas that resonate with you? Are there stories that have moved you? Are there thoughts about things that you want me to cover in the future? So send me a note at myththepodcast at gmail.com or at podcast myth on Twitter. Shoot, you can shoot me a note on there or jump in the robots radio discord. There are all links for these things in the show notes and I'd love to hear from you directly. Um, also, you can support the show financially if you would like and you can go to patreon.com slash myth underscore podcast and there's a link for that in the show notes as well it for as little as one dollar a month which seems like almost nothing at all you can get ad free episodes through the patreon rss feed there are a number of other tiers if you are interested in supporting us at a higher level that would be awesome and the last thing i'm going to ask you to help out with is leaving a rating or review on whatever podcatcher you listen to. If you do leave one for Apple Podcasts, that's probably the most helpful because a lot of people use that to search for shows still, and it's still the majority place where people go for podcasts. And if you do so, I will read out your review on a future episode of the show, just like this one. This glowing review comes from Calross S12 in the United States, who writes, A Diamond in the Rough, five stars. 10 out of 10. Well, I guess he gave me 10 stars. Myth is a podcast that quality hits the ground running and doesn't slow down. The way the episodes are presented are very enjoyable and robots. That's the name I go by on the internet is an amazing host. I highly recommend the episode, the darkest day, as it is one of the best podcast episodes I have ever heard in the pile of many podcasts about human history. This one shines bright. Thank you so much, Kalras. Those words mean so much to me. I put a lot into this show and the other shows that I do on the network. And knowing that 
an episode of this show is on your list of absolute best podcast episodes ever is amazing to me. Thank you so much. That just it, it makes the rest of my day when something like this comes through. So please consider leaving a rating or review if you haven't already and look forward to what we've got coming up in the next few weeks. Some really cool topics coming up. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And until next time, maybe spend some time under a tree thinking about some of this stuff. See what happens. All right, guys, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Myth. If you'd like to send us a note, we'd love to hear from you at myththepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at podcastmyth. If you'd like to support the show, please tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes. Or if you'd like to help us out financially and experience an ad-free version of the show, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash myth underscore podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon. enjoy being optimistic about bad movies? Or do you enjoy at least trying to figure out where someone worked really hard on a bad movie? Well, we've got the podcast for you. New to Robots Radio, we represent Fresh Tomatoes, the movie podcast. Each week, we look at two movies that did really badly critically, but we try to find the good in them. And we have segments such as What Could Have Saved It? and Would You Watch It Again? If you're there on a Saturday night, you want to watch a bad movie, but you're not sure if it's like good bad or bad bad, or if you should even bother, give us a listen. You can find us on Robots Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Please come and say hi. We love you already. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.